Good morning. Hey, good to see you here. Today's message is about when and maybe how to speak up when God calls us to the occasion and to echo with the heroine of our story this week to say, if I perish, I perish. We're in chapter 20 of the story Bibles. We work our way through. We're almost to the end of the Old Testament. One more chapter to go. And this week we're reading about Esther. And our children did an amazing job telling that story. That's a lot of words to memorize. That, give them another. They did a great job. <clears throat> so let me just fill in some of the gaps uh, from the story that they've already uh, outlined for us. The year is 479 BC. So it's 479 years uh, until, yet still to go in our story, until God comes into his own story in the flesh as baby Jesus. Now you remember last week the, the Jews who had been in exile, captivity, they were freed by King Cyrus uh, to return back to Jerusalem. But just like you would think of it today, I mean, not every single Jew returned to Jerusalem when given the opportunity. And so today's story is pretty interesting because we get to see what happens to some of the Jews who stayed in the east, stayed in what is now the Medo-Persian Empire. And the king now, the mighty king, the most powerful man in the world at this point in time is King Xerxes. I love that name, Xerxes. Christy wouldn't let me name our son Xerxes as much as I wanted. Did not get that baby name, but what a great name. Two X's? How many people have two X's in their name? Okay. Xerxes, uh, he's the king, and there's a man who has risen in his court. His name is Haman. And Haman really has it out for the Jews that live in his town, in the city of Susa, the, the capital of the, the Persian Empire. And Haman is able to influence the king to sign an irrevocable decree that says on one day, all the citizens of the empire are allowed, it's legal, to kill a Jewish family and take all their possessions. The day that is set is on the Jewish calendar is Adar the 13th, which is 11 months away. So for 11 months, every Jew living in Susa and all 127 provinces of the Persian Empire wake up every morning as if they are living on death row. Well, what Haman does not know is that King Xerxes' wife is Jewish. A fact that she kept hidden. Her cousin raised her. She was an orphan. And her cousin's name is Mordecai. And Mordecai's advice to her during her courtship and wedding was to keep her heritage a secret for now. So now... Here we are living under this dark cloud uh, for the, all of the Jewish people in the empire. And Mordecai decides, now is the time <laughs> to reveal who you are. 
and he, he pleads with his cousin, please go to the king and plea for mercy for your people. Save, save your people. And Esther says, well, it's not as simple as that. Because, and this is what she tells her cousin, he says, all the king's officials and people of the royal uh, province know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. See, our concept of a king is a little watered down. Uh, the king in, in all these other cultures and nations throughout time is, is God-like, if not God, you know, considered equal with. Uh, you don't just walk up and say, hey, what's up? <laughs> you have to be summoned. And if you appear without being summoned, even if you are the queen, you risk losing everything, your title, your crown, maybe even your life. But there is a chance the king might receive you you show up unannounced. And if he decides to receive you and show you mercy, he will reach out his gold scepter and point it towards you. And you can may approach and touch the tip of the scepter. Now, in case any of you are wondering, just for the record, Christy does not have to be summoned to come into my presence. I don't even have a gold scepter. Actually, she has the gold scepter. <laughs> you approach her. Um, so it's not, a, it's not really that simple. And so Mordecai replies back, writes back to his cousin, Queen Esther. And he says, look, don't think that just because you're in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. In other words, God is going to do this through somebody but you and your father's family will perish. And listen to this advice. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What is he saying? It's like, Esther, you have not been given this immense influence like, by accident. God has put you where you are at this specific time, ahead of time, <clears throat> for God's purposes. So Esther replies. She says, go gather all uh, the Jews in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Wow. Wow. Esther, the queen full of beauty, full of courage and wisdom. We have all been given influence, positions of influence. And this may be the highest hurdle I've got uh, to, to, for you to, to clear this morning, is to realize the influence that God has given to you. For Esther, her, obviously, it's, it's obvious. She's the queen, right? She does have a lot of pull, right, with the king. But she was still risking her life. And she fasted for the three days. 
And then she put on her royal robes and she entered into the inner court of the palace. Xerxes was sitting on his throne at that time and he saw Esther and he extended his gold scepter. She approached, touched the scepter and spoke, revealing her heritage, pleading for mercy. And the king listened and the Jewish people were saved. And in God's irony and, and justice, right? The, the noose that uh, Haman had tied for Mordecai ended up hanging himself, executing himself. But it was her courage to speak up when God told her to speak up for those who had no voice, for those who needed to be rescued. You have been put in a position of influence. If you look at Acts chapter 17, it says that they should inhabit the whole earth. Right, and he marked out their appointed times in history. You are not here at this time by accident. God has appointed your life from beginning to end from the place that you live and born and live and die. In God's grand story, all of our stories weave together with each other's and with God's grand tapestry to bring about the redemption of humanity. That's the theme of this chapter in the story. That's the theme of every chapter in God's story. That's the theme of God's whole story. God is intervening from heaven into our world, real time and space, to bring about the salvation of all people. And he comes in real time and space in Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that chapter pretty soon. But just to show you how important this is to God and how this work of salvation is his top priority and so, it should be our top priority, too. So, if we have this influence, and we all do, I, again, if I just get you over this hump, right? So, I know you think, well, I, I'm not the president of my jo uh, business, or I'm not the senior pastor of the church. I'm not the... We all have a sphere of influence. There are people in our lives that we love and that we trust, and they trust us, and we love them. Start in your own family. Those are people that you probably didn't pick, but God put into your life, your family. And you have influence in that sphere. How many of you have coworkers or former coworkers if you retire? That's another sphere of influence. People you know, people you like, they like you. Conversations, you catch up from time to time. These are people God has brought into your life. Does anybody have a neighbor? A next door neighbor? An upstairs neighbor, across the street neighbor. Yeah, we all have spheres of influence. So how do we wield our influence? Well, God is very clear. He gives really good instructions, very good information in scriptures on how we wield our influence. I got two big points today in the, the first one. 
is that, how do we wield our influence? We must know when to keep our mouth shut, <laughs> right? It's like mama always told us, just because you think it doesn't mean you should say it. <laughs> it's true. And, and again, God's word is, gives many examples of when we are to keep our mouths shut, when it's appropriate to stay quiet. And uh, one example is in matters of preference. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 14 that a weak, it is weak people uh, who confuse their preferences for truth. And they try to push their preferences on other people as though it were truth. Let me give you some real simple examples. I like my orange juice without the pulp. My wife likes her orange juice with the disgusting pulp. Right? I, I like to back my car into the garage. My wife likes to pull forward. She does it the wrong way and pulls forward into the garage. Right? No, these are not truths. It's not right or wrong. I mean, maybe better or worse, but it's not right or wrong. These are preferences, right? Now, think about the, the real list of our preferences is much longer, and there's certainly much more you know, serious things, things we get really passionate about than these simple benign examples. But a wise person is not going to push their preferences on other people. Another time when it's appropriate to be quiet is when people won't listen. There was a seminary uh, professor I know who's invited to a debate, debate an, an atheist. And he asked the man, he goes, well, if I come, if I present a sound argument, if I answer your questions, are you, will you have an open mind? Will you consider, you know, the evidence? And they said, no. And so he declined the invitation. And when I'm speaking to someone, if I'm trying to share God's word with someone, and it's clear that they do not want to listen to me, that they do not have an open mind, I do what Jesus advised. I don't cast my pearls before swine. Just not an appropriate time. Another time when we should stay quiet is when we're angry. This isn't a big shock, right? You all experience this. Uh, when we speak out of anger, we almost always make the situation worse than what it was. So, examples. Parents, don't discipline in anger. You will lose a lot of respect from your children. They can see, sense what's going on. And you're probably not going to be real wise in your, in your statements. So my advice would be to bite your tongue. Go to your room, your prayer, wherever you go and pray. Calm down. And then with loving, determined words, right? Speak whatever your discipline, whatever advice, whatever you need to, to say. Uh, don't speak when you're angry. Oh, and... Don't send emails after midnight. I have regretted everyone. Uh, now what I do is I will still write the email and then go to sleep. But don't send it. Write the email. Don't send it. Go to sleep. Wake up in the morning. 
reread the email, you know what? I've never sent an email after rereading it. <laughs> this is not a good idea. And it's something with our brains, with the way we were wired. It's something about at, at nighttime, we just obsess about things. And so you get all kinds of crazy stuff that comes out late at night. Don't reveal your crazy to other people. Okay? So when we're angry, we're not going to speak. Another thing, judging other people's motives. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says you don't judge other people. We don't judge their motives. We don't know why they did what they did. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 4. People are trying to make up all kinds of wild and crazy selfish reasons why he's a missionary, why he's preaching Jesus Christ. And Paul says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, he says, that's amazing. It's amazing that you know why I do what I do because I'm not sure I know why, why what I do. But there is one person who does, the Lord, and he will reveal to me my motives one day. This is a big, big problem in our culture. And I think the worst part about judging other people's motives is that we always assume the worst motive possible. From something benign, like uh, say there's a traffic situation, another car not doing what maybe they should do. You used to find the worst motive. That person's trying to make me late. Hey, that person's an idiot, hey, right? The, the worst possible motive we can think of to whatever, you get, get into politics or whatever else, uh, making the worst possible case for other people. Don't. Just because you think it doesn't mean you should say it, right? It's just not appropriate to speak in those situations. And then lastly, and this is a slide if you want to take a picture of, you can get, because we're not going to get into all of these Bible verses right now, but I've got good news for you. Uh, Pastor Jeremy in the, the pastor's Bible study is going to dig deeper into this part of the message on, and that's on Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning on YouTube. So you can watch it anytime you want after that. There's your free plug, Pastor Jeremy. You got it. Not as good as a Super Bowl commercial, but I think they were listening. All right. The other time, you keep quiet. When you don't know what you're talking about. Nobody likes the guy who's a legend in their own mind. Right? And sometimes... Guys, we suffer, and I do too, from MAS, M-A-S, male answer syndrome. We feel like we always have to give an answer, or we always have to give a solution to help, all right? Listen, we are all ignorant in something, right? Nobody knows everything about everything. And so what I've done is I've given myself permission. This is a big step for me. Uh, I gave myself permission to say, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? And you know what? I noticed people enjoy being around me a lot more now. <laughs> yeah. So we wield our influence because God has put us in position. There's people in our lives. That's simple. And one of the things we do is knowing when to not speak. But just like Esther we also need to know when it's time to speak up because there are times and there are issues, there are things that are important enough that God asks us, invites us, encourages us, dare I say, 
commands us to speak up, to speak up for people who do not have a voice, and to speak with the boldness of Esther. If I perish, I perish. Because I don't know if you noticed, but we live in a PC society. Does anybody know what PC stands for? Huh? Politically correct, right? Politically correct. Now, I work, and I know Pastor Jeremy works tirelessly when we craft these uh, messages or devotions or letters, all our communications, right? We work so hard to not needlessly offend anybody, to not unnecessarily offend anybody because people are so hypersensitive to it and yet there are things there are things there are topics there are issues there are people who are important enough that we do risk offense so I may offend somebody today but please don't be offended let me just give you, well, here's a psalm. Here's, here's a verse that, that talks about who are we to risk our lives for and speaking up for. The weak, the fatherless, hmm? uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy from the hand of the wicked. There are people who do not have a voice. There are people who need to be saved. And it is our calling now as Christians, as people who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, paying for our sins, his gift of eternal life is in our hands. Heaven is already ours, but we're not there yet because there's still more people to tell. There's still more people to save. There's still more people to help. There's more people to bless. There's more people to speak up for. So I'm going to give you just a few. There's a there's many, many, many important issues that are worth risking at all to speak up to. I'm just going to pick a few this morning because I don't want to keep you all day long. I know it's not a football game, but I still don't want to keep you all day. So the first thing I want to mention is domestic violence. I'm a, I'm a law enforcement chaplain here in Arizona, and I'm going to tell you that, uh, well, I, I believe, I guess, I would guess that it is much more prevalent than you think it is. Much more prevalent. And uh, even in affluent communities, it can be the most uh, common, whatever, police call. Now, we don't have gang shootings. I have drug deals going south in North Scottsdale. But I do have domestic violence. There was a dinner, a fundraiser, uh, to help fight domestic violence. And the keynote speaker was Nicole Brown Simpson's sister. And she said that fighting domestic violence, she said laws help, education helps, um, counseling helps. She said, but there's one universal solution that will curtail domestic violence in our communities. Good neighbors. Good neighbors. Neighbors who know each other. Neighbors who care about each other will notice 
If there's domestic violence going on in the home, and they must speak up. And if I perish, I perish. It's worth it. Another example of times when God calls us to speak up for those who do not have a voice are the unborn. But the last thing I want to do is heap guilt on anyone who has been through this experience, a horrible experience. Nobody wants to do this. As if, uh, you know, you can't be forgiven in Christ. Because you can. You are. Forgiveness is available for everyone, for everything that we've ever done. Of course, God loves you and forgives you. And yet I'm also called again to speak up for those who don't have a voice. So it is challenging. It is shocking to me that we've come to a place in our society here in America where we've gone from kind of a compromised situation where, remember, it was uh, let's keep abortions legal but rare to where we are today, where it's abortion on demand, no need for a reason, no time restrictions on the gestation, the pregnancy, just all wide open. And what does that say about our society? Mothers are the most loving humans in the world. Our, our whole society would fall apart if we didn't have mothers. We, the, the love that mothers have is so deep. It is so great. It's not even measurable. What does it say when we have gone to this point where mothers are just like, well, whatever. Now, uh, we've started a new uh, life ministry here. There's going to be a breakfast, actually, in a couple weeks, a couple Saturdays from now. Uh, come check it out, learn more about it. Now, I'll say, uh, and I'm going to ask all of you here throughout the day to, uh, what I'm really asking you to do is to be sophisticated Christian thinkers, Okay? Uh, not everything is just so cut and dry and simple. Most, most of our issues are multifaceted. So when it comes to even the term, the label pro-life, it really does have some pretty harsh uh, edges to it. There's been a lot of mean things said and mean things done under that pro-life banner that aren't full of grace and full of truth. And yet, <laughs> we are still called, right, to speak up on behalf of the unborn. I have uh, read the scriptures, and what I'm telling you right now is not my preference. This is the truth. It's not just a preference. I've read the scriptures in the Greek, in the Hebrew. I've tried to look for loopholes. There are none. God and God alone is the giver and taker of life, period. So no matter how crazy our world gets, <laughs> When I stand before God, I want to be able to say every chance I had the opportunity, I spoke up for the unborn. Now, again, we want to win hearts and minds. We want to share the grace and the love of God. And we will win through our love and our care and our concern for the people that we're speaking up for. More than just our words, right? It's our actions. So we're not going to 
win hearts and minds. We're not going to convince people by bashing them in the head with a picket sign or yelling at them through a megaphone. But if we, as the church family, if we take care of expecting moms and orphans and foster children and babies, if we take care of them so well that when expecting moms look and see, wow, what an amazing life my child could have, abortion would become unthinkable. And I think that's our battle line. Now, as citizens, we can vote, yeah, there's a legal thing, you can do that fight, but as Christians, I think our battle line is the hearts and the minds. We make abortion unthinkable because we love them and care and provide for them so well. Right? All right. We're going to speak up for many things, but for domestic violence, for the unborn, and for the refugee. Now, immigration has been a kind of a hot topic the last few years. So is it safe for me to go there? Can I go there? Oh, I don't, not getting the overwhelming. I'm going to go get my Kevlar vest on. I'll be right back. All right. How many of you would say, you are so bold that you would say, if it's in the Bible, it's good enough for me. Let me see your hand. Hey, if it's in God's word, it's good enough for me. You that bold? Most of you. Good. All right. Well, I'm going to give you nine verses, nine that explicitly, not implicitly, explicitly tell us that God's people are to care for the immigrant and the refugee, period. We are called to speak up for those who do not have a voice. Again, I'm not going to go through all the verses. Let's just look at the top verse in Leviticus 19. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. For the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your what? Native born. Love them as yourself. Well, that's the top two commands. God, Jesus already told us that. Love the Lord your God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's already, it's already part of our job. Especially those who don't have a voice. Those who are in danger. Those who need to be rescued. We need to minister to the immigrant and the refugee. You need to welcome the immigrant and the refugee and at the same time, governments, Romans 13, have been given the right, the power, and the responsibility to protect their citizens. These issues are not uh, one-word sound bites. These are not political party talking points. These are multifaceted, complex for sure, but multifaceted truths. God's truth that we are to care for the immigrant. God's truth that government is here to protect its citizens. And we can hold these truths together and we can speak up for both of these truths. I would say I'm no expert in uh, law or bills. I don't know. What do you think? But I think the immigration law might need to be reformed. Maybe. Maybe. And so we want to support our laws, 
Because if we don't obey those laws, where does the lawlessness end? And we want to support our lawmakers in crafting or recrafting uh, sound, safe, caring, right, bills that will that will reform our immigration system. And we're called to do we're called to do both. It's super interesting that you probably don't realize it. Next week, the chapter next week, we're actually going to read about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a man who God calls to build a wall, great big beautiful wall, all around Jerusalem to protect the residents of Jerusalem. Again, what I am calling you, my friends here at Desert Foothills, our church family, our visitors, uh, I am calling us to be sophisticated Christian thinkers. To be quiet when that's appropriate, but to speak when that is appropriate. You have been given a sphere of influence. Believe that. At least believe that today. And so I say to you, in the spirit and the words of Mordecai, you have been put in this position for such a time as this. What is God inviting you to speak to your people in your circles? And I pray that you speak in the spirit and the boldness of Esther and even echo her sentiment. <laughs> if I perish, I perish. Amen? Amen. I invite you to stand and we'll pray and sing our last song this morning. Almighty God, the generations rise and fall before you. You intervene into our world, into our time, into our own personal lives to bring about the salvation that Jesus has won for us on the cross, to give us that faith that we have in you, the peace that passes all understanding. And you give us this incredible privilege to work with you, with you, uh, to share your love, to share your gospel, uh, to share your truth with the people in our lives. No, we don't all have uh, a TV show that's broadcast around the world and reach billions of people with just a word, but we do have billions of Christians who all have a circle of friends who can all speak these words of truth and love. And we can reach the entire world, grassroots, just by each and every one of us speaking up when you call us to speak up. Lord, we ask that you would Help us be the salt that makes a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.